last uh, week, I should have been in Saint-Tropez ministering to a church in France, and uh, instead I did a swap with Richard, who's actually there today, and this is a church we're supporting, a church plant, a godless area, believe it, you know, that is a godless area, part of France, but a church planted, and watch Richard speaking last night on Periscope, 50, 60 people in that church community, Uh, but you know, um, I swapped it and swapped the dates and gave Richard that nice spot uh, when it was sleeting and snowing yesterday. I thought, why did I do it? Um, but I did all because I wanted to support uh, my daughter, Jess, last week, who was running the London Marathon. And when I went down, I stopped at my brother-in-law's house with Philippa. We went the next morning with Jess, set her off to the starting point. And I began to wonder why I decided to do it. There was sleet, there was snow, there was hail coming down on us as the London Marathon got started. And, um, and we went to the 15-mile point initially to look out for Jess. There was crowds of runners coming. And I just caught the slightest of glimpses of her. She waved and carried on running. I thought, that's fantastic. I got to the, uh, the t- we walked again and again, we stood on the front row of the crowd and stood, uh, she'd run two marathons previously and said, it's the 21 mile state, uh, stage where I feel the most exhausted, where I'm in need of encouragement. I thought the 21 mile stage, we'll get there, we'll be at the 21 mile stage. So Philip and myself, we jostled in the crowd, got right onto the front row at the 21 mile stage. I was really beginning to wonder, why have I done this? This is last, it's taken me all of, you know, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. It's going to take all of my day on Sunday. Why am I doing this? And then round the corner came Jess in the crowd of runners. Uh, and she came round the corner and she was looking. I could see she was tired as all the runners were looking tired and exhausted. She was looking for us. And there was a, a sad look in her eyes as she was looking in the crowd because we'd agreed we'd try and be there at the 21-mile point. She was looking for us. And then she saw us and her face lit up, as you can see. And, and, and I reached out with a bottle of Lucasade, and she ran past. I said, well done, Jess, and slapped her on the back. Take some Lucasade. There's only five miles to go. (laughs) And she went, and within a few seconds, that Lucasade moment, as I call it, the Lucasade moment only lasted around about 10 seconds. 10 seconds. But... Uh, you know, and she went on and she ran the race and she finished it and she did it in her best time ever. But as I moved away and, and we lost sight of her, just those few seconds we caught a glimpse of her, something happened within me. Uh, and, and Philippa was with me. I, I just began to well up with tears. And I thought, Lord, I've done what I could when I could. It was only 10 seconds. And what did I give her? The bottle of Lucasade cost a pound. It cost a pound. But I gave her what I could, when I could. And for me, I just felt, um, uh, uh, you know, my heart was affected uh, and I'd not given much. And it wasn't a bottle of Lucasade and a smack on the back I'd given. I'd given her the warmth, the love, the support, the encouragement of her mother and father who were saying, we're for you, Jess. And we're giving you something far more than a bottle of Lucasite. Um, 
In Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, and in John's gospel, we get the story how Jesus one day was in Bethany, and he was at the home of Simon, that's the leper Jesus had healed, and in walks Mary, uh, that was Martha and Lazarus' sister. And what does she do? Mary gets out an alabaster box full of the most expensive Chanel Number no. 5, Lover Dose C, DKNY, uh, the most expensive black opium, I'm just thinking of them all, the, the most expensive sweet-smelling perfume that she could find. And, and she takes that alabaster box, she breaks it, and she pours it on Jesus' head, on his neck, on his shoulders, on his feet. And the room is filled with the most beautiful smell that you could imagine. And she's opened up a precious alabaster box and she's poured it over Jesus. And as she does that, and that beautiful smell fills the room, there's, there's not like when you go into Boots or Selfridges perfume department, people smiling, offering you, you know, free samples of other perfumes. There's no smiling faces there. Around the room are church leaders who are looking at Mary with stony faces and critical faces and critical attitudes. And one of them, called Judas, actually verbalizes what the rest of them are thinking. They're saying, this is, Judas says, this is disgusting. That is a waste of money. It could have been sold and the money could have been used to give gifts to the poor. Of course, after I'd taken more than my fair share of it, says Judas, the treasurer, who wasn't really honest at all. Uh, and he'd only voiced, and the other disciples, then we read in the Gospels, the other disciples naively follow G Judas's lead and, and begin to criticize. Meanwhile, Jesus wipes some of that perfume that's gone over his, in, in, over his head and out of his eyes. And he looks at Mary and he tells everyone, the poor you'll have with you always. What she has done is a wonderful thing. In fact, she's made such an impression upon me and upon my Father and upon God the Holy Spirit that everywhere the gospel is preached in all the world, what she has done will be spoken about in memory of her. And here we are today, prophetic word that Delhi brought earlier on. Uh, here we are today through the preached word, speaking of what Mary, the sister of Lazarus, of Lazarus, the sister of Martha, what she did all those years ago, we're speaking in honor of her. And we say, we honor you, Mary, for what you did that day. We're speaking about what you did. In Mark 14, verse 8, in the message translation, Jesus then goes on and he says this, She did, for she did what she could when she could. She did what she could when she could. So, what's so special? What's so special? A bottle of Lucasade? What's so special about a bottle of Lucasade? What's so special? An alabaster box of perfume. Was Jesus an aftershave geek? Uh, a bottle of Lucasade? An alabaster box of perfume? Both these things were just, just 
physical things that expressed much more to those who gave what they could when they could than just the physical, superficial reality of them. Uh, they were so more important than the physical giving that took place. Another day we read about Jesus being in the temple and a widow coming along and putting two copper coins, that's all, two copper coins in the temple treasury. She was outshadowed that day by people putting huge amounts of money in the temple treasury. Jesus looked at her and he was impressed. Those two copper coins meant something far more than the big amounts what other people were putting in the treasury. He was impressed. It made a mark on him. So what are we saying? We're saying lucasade bottles, alabaster boxes, two copper coins can even make an impression upon God if we learn how to value them properly. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 46. Paul is explaining in that chapter famous about the resurrection a principle when he's talking about the natural order coming first, uh, and then the spiritual order. Uh, and he explains how in the natural order, the first man, Adam, the first Adam coming first, obviously, uh, through him, sin entered into the world. And he was followed much later by the last Adam, Paul referring to Jesus, calling him the last Adam, and says, through the last Adam, Jesus a new order comes, not a natural order, but a spiritual order where sin no longer is dominion, uh, dominates, where sin no longer has dominion, where, where the spiritual supersedes the, the natural. And so he talks about the natural first in the first Adam and the spiritual second in the last Adam. That's why you don't have to live in sin anymore. Sin is so, last, uh, so first Adam. <laughs> You, you can live in the realm of the last Adam. Um, and, and, and that same principle that he takes works when we talk today about Jesus being Lord of our giving. That we can talk first about the natural and then the spiritual. You see, natural or physical things can carry so much more significance, so much more uh, weight than what appears on the surface. Nobody needs uh, spiritual faith to understand that. Let me illustrate. Um, who would like to receive a, a, a piece of paper from me? Put your hand up if you'd like to receive a piece of paper from me. Koffo, Koffo would like to receive a piece of paper. Koffo, come and get a piece of paper from me. Look what I'm giving him, everybody. It's a piece of paper. Are you glad to get that piece of paper, Koffo? Yes, yes. Yes, he's happy. He acts so well, doesn't he? You're not happy to get... Koffo, tell the truth. You're not really bothered about getting that piece of paper, are you? It's just a piece of paper. Just a piece of paper. Uh, and that's what he got. Now, here's another piece of paper. Who'd like to get this piece of paper from me? Look, I tell you who I'm going to give it to. These are our visitors all the, day, all the way from Norwich today. Have a piece of paper. No, have a piece. Please have it. Have it. There you go. I've given a piece of paper, a piece of paper to our visitors from Norwich. Um, Koffo got a piece of paper. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, 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 that the, the physical uh, thing, you don't have to have faith to understand the difference between the two. It gave both of them a piece of paper. The one had tremendous value. I gave to, to, to my brother from Norwich there, I gave to him something of myself. 
Yeah, I didn't really give anything of myself to Kofo. Um, I do that all week, but I gave him something of myself. That represents so much more than a piece of paper, but everybody gets it. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you get the difference between the one piece of paper and the other piece of paper. Um, you see, first the natural, then the spiritual. Looking at that baptismal pool over there, what do you see? What is in that pool? To, the, to some people... It's just water, just like it's just paper I've given to someone. But to other people who with faith begin to understand it, they say, no, in this baptismal pool, there's far more than water. And when you were baptized, if you went down those steps or wherever it was you were baptized in water, you understood that wasn't water. You were entering into a burial ground where your old self was being buried in the waters of baptism. And it was also a resurrection ground because, thankfully, you were brought up out of the water. And, and you were in a new resurrection. The old was gone with its dirty habits, with its filthy way of thinking. The old was gone. The new has come. And so even if you've been baptized and you think, well, you know, just Paul writes to the Romans, remember what happened that day. Constantly remind yourself, the old was gone and buried. The new came to life. And so for us, it's not just water. It's a, it's a burial ground. It's a resurrection ground. It's got far more significance than being just water. When we break bread and drink wine, first the natural, then the spiritual. You know, what's in a piece of bread? And a glass of wine. Why did the Lord tell us to break bread and drink wine? Did he say, oh, I want my disciples to get their whole grains, their carbs and fiber in the bread. And I want them to get the antioxidants from the red wine. No, he isn't the manager of the eighth day. Uh, what did he do? He, he wanted when we drink that with faith, something happens. And that bread and blood becomes the body and the blood of the Lord. And his life comes into us as we partake of that covenant meal. And we partake of his life in our, very, in, our, in our beings, in our very selves, in that. Um, you see, what are we saying? When we add faith to something, the physical thing can carry greater value than you see in the surface value. If you understand that, then we begin to understand our story about Mary much more clearly. Jesus wanted... Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, to be spoken about wherever the gospel is proclaimed all over the world. Why? Because she'd poured a nice smelling perfume over him. No, something far more than that. Because, Mark 14 verse 8, because she gave what she could when she could. Um, our giving, when Jesus is Lord of our giving... Our giving is far more than just saying it's coming from my heart. Our giving enters the physical realm. I love my wife, Philippa, very much. I tell her every day I love her. And um, the other day, on Thursday or Wednesday this week, I was coming back from King's House and going to catch the 93 bus. I sort of get off the 42 and walk down Market Street. And... Um, Paper Chase, just opposite Marks and Spencer's, sell different cards. I went in there and I spent £2.50. Of my money. I spent £2.50 of my money on a card that said, the best wife ever. I then carried on my little walk. 
opposite Marks and Spencers, there, there, there's um, Lush, where you get bath bombs. I went in, I bought two bath bombs. I said to the woman, came and said, do you, do, do, do you need any help? I said, I'm looking for explosive, colourful bath. I said, here's the two best. I said, I'll take the two best. Three pounds each. Eight pound fifty. I then thought, as I was spending this money, so my love for it, I found something happened. I'd got in my bag, I'd got a card, which I then wrote a silly poem inside, but I'd got a card, I'd got uh, two bath bombs, and my love for it was agreed. I thought, there's no limits what I'm going to get for this woman. <laughs> I then went into Tesco's on, markets, on, on, on Deansgate. Tesco's in market, went straight to the flower department. Any flowers will do. Four pounds, those will do nicely. <laughs> Roses. I spent, you understand, I spent £12.50 of my money. <laughs> I got home and she was still on her way. I quickly wrote a silly poem. I put it all there, put it on the bed. She comes home and she just keeps on having a cup of tea. I think, you need to go up to, you're going to go and get changed. You're going to have a shower. I wanted to go and see what's all there, all these lavish gifts. And eventually she goes and comes back. And I tell you guys, I tell you guys, it's worth it sometimes, spending a little bit of money. It keeps you in good books over the whole bank holiday weekend, so far. Um, but, but you get it. I tell her I love her every day. But sometimes there's a physical giving of something that costs me money that says it's true. That helps her to understand it's true. He really does love me. He doesn't just say it. He shows it in what he spends his money on. Um, you see, it's the same. It's the same with time. I tell Philippa, I've, you've got all my time. I'll do anything, anytime you want. But if that's all I ever said, if I didn't say this night, this week, we're stopping it. I don't care who asks to see you. We're on our own. And that's it. If I didn't do that, do you think she'd really believe all my time was for her? Um, what are we saying? What does Mary teach us? We need to get away from the lie of thinking that the Lord only looks at our hearts. Do you understand? Mary teaches us that the seen realm matters to him. Of course, you can't have a bad heart and unforgiveness in your heart, you know, because he sees through that. So, so that has to be put right first of all. But Mary teaches us that he also loves it, that the Lord Jesus loves it when our heart of him, our heart of love for him, affects the seen realm. A sweet-smelling perfume was very physical. It cost a year's wages and he didn't need it. Do you understand? He didn't need it. He could have got by without it. But oh, how he loved receiving it as that worship, as that offering that was acceptable to him. And he said, Mary, you've done something beautiful in what you've done in giving me something I didn't need. God delights to see our hearts expressing something to him that touches our material possessions. He loves it when we use our money to express the genuineness of our worship. In fact, giving our pounds and copper coins to God who needs it as much as Jesus needed that perfume that day is something that grabs his attention and says, I notice that. And I love it. We even had an example of it this morning. 
when Rosie and then Philippa were, were, and people were just encouraged us to come on out and express something of that love to God, even physically what we do with our bodies. You know, I just felt the Lord was saying to me, I'm watching, I'm seeing. There's no condemnation on anyone, but I'm noticing those who go the extra mile in their worship. God loves it when we lift our hands. That isn't some charismatic fad. That's all through the word of God about lifting your hands in worship. And something begins to happen to you when you do it. Something begins to happen to you when you, you push yourself in work. Say, oh Lord, I just love you. I'm going to show it somehow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wave my arms about. I'm going to do something, whatever's appropriate to me and whatever I feel right for me. I'm going to do it because, Lord, I love you. He notices that. Uh, it grabs his attention. I want to say, when we take an offering, not a collection... When we take an offering as a church community and our Sunday meetings, never ever see it as putting money into the collection. Never ever see it as money for the church. Never see the Lucasaid bottle. See the love behind it. Never see the alabaster box. See the love behind it. Never see your check, your piece of paper, uh, whatever it is, don't see that. See worship behind it. Never look at your online bank account and see the standing order that's going into King's Church. See the love behind it. Uh, never see that bank transfer. See your act of loving worship underpinning and undergirding the piece of paper. Underpinning and undergirding what you put in the offering basket on a Sunday. If you look on it as a church membership tax, you're missing something incredibly beautiful. Repent. Start to enjoy giving money to God as an act of worship, as a breathtaking breaking open of an alabaster box and saying, here it is, Lord. I'm giving it to you. And watch what happens. Because he, I guarantee you from the word of God, he notices every sacrificial act of worship. David one day, he was there and someone suggested that he, he gave a sacrifice to the Lord that cost him nothing. He said, no, I refuse to do it. It's got to cost me something. Because he was a man ahead of his time. He was a, like a new covenant believer in an old covenant time. He knew it had to cost him something. Uh, you see, there's a link between the seen realm and the unseen realm that Jesus teaches about. Um, Jesus, Mark 12, 41, he is watching. Uh, he sat down opposite the place. He sat down, goes into the temple with his disciples. How embarrassing. You know, sits down opposite the offering box that they've got there in the temple treasury. Verse 42, you know, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. You know the story. Why was he watching what money we give? Um, is he not interested in our hearts? Let me say, he watches what we give because he is interested in our hearts. Jesus knows that how we use worldly wealth is the real indicator of where our hearts are. Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
I want to challenge us, King's Church Morning Sight. Are we a worshipping community? Let me, let me, are we a worshipping community? Let me put it like this. First the natural, then the spiritual. So it's not about how loudly we sing. It's not about how good and trendy are the sing, songs that we sing. But it's about, firstly, naturally, how much broken alabaster is on the floor when we leave this room. When we leave this room, it includes how much broken, how many broken wallets are there? How many broken bank balances? How many broken paychecks? Because we've said, Lord, I love you. And I know that you notice these things because Jesus said in, in Luke 16, verses 10, he said, and 11, he said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? True spiritual riches, worldly wealth. That there's a link between them. You don't buy them. Of course you can't buy them. But there's a link. He sees hearts that are expressing something of their love and adoration to him in the way that they give. Including their finances. You see, we're all here this morning, I believe, because we're hungry for true riches. I believe that about every person here. I believe every single one of us, we're hungry for more of God. We're hungry for more of a kingdom. More joy, more peace. But Jesus made it clear, there's a connection between resources and true riches. The way I handle this seen realm, the way I handle my finance is how I have access into the unseen realm. Um, spiritual riches. How I handle my money affects how much I have of favor, insight, revelation, the presence of God, spiritual power. Your bank statements show you how much God can trust you with true spiritual riches. This is what Jesus says in Luke 16. They show how much Jesus is Lord in your life. They show how much Jesus is Lord of your giving. Two verses later on in Luke 16, Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So you say, well, right, Dave, okay, so um, what should I give? You gave Jess a, a 99 pence or a pound bottle of Lucasade. Is, is that enough? How much can I give? What does the Bible teach on that? There's a regular habit in the Word of God that expresses Jesus as Lord of my giving, that bomb-proofs me from ever falling into serving money, from ever thinking I'm serving money. It proves to me I'm confessing Jesus as Lord of my giving. It's called tithing. It's another way of saying giving what you can, when you can. It doesn't matter if you're a multimillionaire. It doesn't matter if you're living on benefits or somewhere in between. You give 10% of what you receive as income to the Lord, and you're sure you're no longer serving money because there's a statement, there's something, there's a way of measuring. We've been talking about Jesus, Lord, of my relationships, Jesus, Lord, of my time, Jesus, Lord, of my hopes. But the, and then when we're talking about Jesus, Lord, of my giving, there is a way that you can measure whether he is Lord of your giving. And sometimes it's good to measure what is measurable. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money, about material things. And it wasn't because that was his, there was something, these were a door. This was a way of expressing the genuineness and the reality of his lordship. Um, you see, 
irrespective of your income, you can give 10% of what you receive. Malachi 3, um, two, written over 2,000 years, 2,500 years ago, Malachi writes this, and, and it's prophesying to the Israelites at the time, to the Jews at the time. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation. This is Old Covenant, remember, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open, remember the prophetic word that came this morning, the floodgates of heaven at the sluice gates is what it really means, the floodgates of heaven, and pour out so much blessing that there'll not be room enough to store it. I will rebuke the devourer. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields and will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You know, some people get it terribly wrong and think just because tithing is in the Old Testament, many think it's part of the Old Covenant law and no longer relevant. I want to say tithing was instituted 400 years before the Old Covenant law came with Moses. Abraham, the father of faith, as he's referred to, was the first one to tithe when he tithed to Melchizedek, that enigmatic character that he met, who Hebrews makes it absolutely clear, is a type of Jesus and, and, and religious leaders then later on in the, in the New Testament were talking about tithing their herbs and, and whatever and Jesus looked at them in Matthew 23, 23 and said of course you should do that but that's, that's not doctoral stuff that's not graduate level that's basics you need to be doing other stuff as well as that that really is the, 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 the ground level it's, it's non-negotiable saying you, you do that but then you do much more weighty matters of justice, righteousness and truth but you do that uh, and, you know, he says, he even says to his disciples, this is new covenant. If you're saying, I don't want to get in the old covenant law, new covenant, Jesus says, you, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. So come on, it's not about giving 10% in the New Testament. It's about giving more than 10%. It's, Jesus says, don't look at a woman, uh, you know, you've heard, don't commit adultery. I say, don't look at a woman lustfully. It's, it's added to, it's, it's harder because you'd never do it without the Holy Spirit living in you. He says, don't, don't, um, you know, don't commit murder is the old covenant. Don't hate your brother in the new covenant. It's even more because it's possible to do with the Holy Spirit in the old covenant if it's given 10% in the new covenant with like prophetic words that Daniel brought to us this morning. He said, hey, it's easy to give more than 10%. It's plus, it's beyond the old covenant law. Uh, and, you know, just in Leviticus, again, we're told that the tithe is holy. That, that 10%, that first 10% of what we earn, it belongs to the Lord. It belongs to Him. Uh, you know, you put your tithe where you belong spiritually. So if you're visiting today and you belong to another church, put your tithe in the church to which you belong. But if you belong here, put your tithe in this church. I went with Philippa and Matt and Christy Rash on this week. We went to a meal in Presswich, and um, it's Jonathan. I don't know if he's here, Jonathan, that Metro D at Cromer in Presswich was there and, um, you know, found us a nice table, offered us free coffees at the end of the meal and everything. Uh, and wouldn't it have been strange if at the end of that meal I then said to Jonathan, I said, actually, we're going to go and pay in the restaurant next door. With um, madness. And it's the same where your spiritual home is, where you're fed spiritually, where you confess Jesus as Lord and with brothers and sisters, that's where your tithe belongs. Offerings come on top of that and you put them wherever you want. But your tithe, it belongs, it's holy, it's set apart. Um, 
Jesus says in any case, but, but sorry, the, the psalmist says this in Psalm 24 verse 1. God claims, in the message translation, God claims earth and everything in it. God claims world and all who live in it. It all belongs to him anyway. There was a man who went into an airport on his way out of the departure lounge and he um, bought himself a latte and a packet of mini donuts, 10 mini donuts. He went and sat down at a chair and he put his mini donuts on in a bag on the table, put his, put his, put, put his, put his bag down, his, his, put his stuff down, put his coat off, sat down, put his coffee on the table uh, and then... Um, he started to, to look. There was a man opposite him reading a newspaper. Then he was shocked when the man opposite him, reading the newspaper, suddenly put the newspaper down, reached across to the table, took a donut from the bag of donuts and ate it. That lays me nine, he thought. A cheeky so-and-so. Uh, I don't want to call the theme. I've only lost one. So he just took one. The man across smiles at him. Why are you smiling at me? Uh, and he ate one. And then the man carries on reading his newspaper. For, all right, he sips his coffee. And then the man reading the newspaper, puts his newspaper down, and again takes another one. What's going on here? He gets the bag. He brings it nearer to himself. <laughs> takes another one and looks at the man. I'm not going to kick off. I don't want to make a scene. It carries on. The man reads across again, brings it back into the middle of a table, and takes another one. And on it goes until it comes to one donut left. And then the man across the table reading the newspaper puts his newspaper down, uh, puts his paper in his bag, puts his coat on, goes to that last donut, breaks it in half, eats half, puts it in the bag, smiles and puts it back. The cheeky so-and-so, he thinks, how can he behave like this towards me? And then the man goes, so he finishes off that last half, lets the man see, I'm eating it as you're going away to catch his plane. Time for him to catch his plane. He screws up the bag there. He puts on his coat, goes to pick up his bag, his roll-on bag to take onto the plane. And he suddenly sees, there's his bag of 10 donuts. Uh, do, you, do you get that? You know... We're so often, whoa, the Lord wants one of my donuts. They all belong to him. They're his. <laughs> Confessing Jesus as Lord of my giving. How do you know you're doing that? It manifests itself in deliberate acts of obedience first and then acts of generosity that follow it. God will never love you more than he loves you now. But the realm of favor, just like Jesus, grew in favor with God and man. You can know what it is to grow in favor by using, by using what you've been given, by giving what you can when you can. Uh, when you prosper inside, it affects all that goes on outside. You know, the word that Daniel brought um, and, and the word that Delhi brought and others as well were, were just so in line with all that was Believe God was wondering. I believe God's speaking to us this morning. And I think there's, there's something for us to do. God is saying to us, test me in this. That's the word in Malachi. Test me in this. You're not, you shouldn't test God in anything apart from this area of your finance. You're told by the word of God, you're encouraged to test him in it. 
and see what happens. Because there's a response that we can do. If the musicians could come ready now, that'd be great. There's a response that we can do where we resolve in our hearts that we're going to do something to God. That, hey, the, 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 we're going we're gonna to resolve, Lord, I'm going to declare that you're Lord of my finances. For some of you, you're already tithing and being tithing. But I want you to change your attitude. Don't see it as a church tax. Don't see it as a membership tax. See it as a loving act of worship. See it as a breaking open an alabaster box before the Lord. For some of you, it's, it's maybe you've, you've, not, you've never tithed in your life. Well, get to a place. Go and search the scriptures and, and, and just hear the word today and say, Lord, I'm going to start doing why I'm going to be someone who does what he can when he can. For some of you, it might be, well, you know, I, 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 I just want to change. I want to repent. I want to change my way of thinking. And for some of you, you might have been responding to that word that Daniel brought earlier on about feeling I'm in, in financial need. There's something that can release the favor of heaven. God says, test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. This isn't a simple, a simplistic, so often we get worried about being American or, or, or prosperity gospel, the worst excesses of it. This is biblical truth, that when we do something, we can expect God to bless us. There's a promise that he will, we sow and, 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 and we can reap. And, and we can know God's blessing, God's favor on our lives. If you want to know true spiritual riches, use the Lucasade bottle. Use the alabaster box. Use your bank account. Use your wallet. There are standing order forms on the help desk and there'll be stewards just waiting just to hand out standing order forms. If, you wanna, if you're not yet already giving regularly to the church, just encourage you to respond in a way that's appropriate for you. And it's not about the amount of money. This is worship. Please don't think this is about King's Church trying to build up its financial reservoir. It's about, this is for your good, not the good of King's Church bank account. This is for you to be able to release the favor of God and the increase of God in your life uh, and, and for his glory. Amen. Amen.